Welcome back to the Innovators Podcast. This episode's guest was Katherine Richardson Bruna. She's been a professor at the Iowa State University School of Education since 2003 and has a background in educational anthropology. During the episode, we spoke about Catherine's newest project, a comic book teaching people about mosquitoes titled Mosquitoes Suck. She explained her plans for expanding education into other mediums and the future of education as a whole. I really enjoyed this conversation and hope that you do too. Thanks for listening. I'm joined by Catherine Richardson Bruna. She's a professor in the School of Education. And uh, Catherine, do you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'm a professor in the School of Education here at Iowa State University. I've been here since 2003. So I'm a old timer. Um, and I came from California specifically with an interest in Iowa. Since my background um, is in what is understood as educational anthropology, so the study of education from a cultural context kind of perspective. So I was really interested in what was happening at that time in terms of demographic transitioning occurring in some of Iowa's meatpacking communities in particular. So coming from California, interested in the experiences of Mexican newcomers and, and uh, more specifically, their experiences in science classrooms. So my my tenure journey has a lot of writing about that particular focus of work, yes. Wow, yeah, that's really, that's really cool. And like very important work that I feel like is not focused on a ton, um, especially in Iowa. Well, I was surprised when I came um, that it seemed to me that that few people were aware of the demographic impact of the waves of Mexican immigration at that time into Iowa and just provided really fertile context to explore cultural dynamics. So when we think about, you know, different cultures coming into contact, oftentimes coming into conflict, but that also means there can be cultural change. And so educational anthropologists are interested in all of those. And, you know, with respect to the work of, of the School of Education and the preparation of teachers, it's really how to alert teachers to thinking about their classrooms as places of contact, conflict, and change, right? That, that new cultures can emerge and that teachers can be shaping new, exciting, and really productive environments for, for all of their learners. So that was the beginning of my work at Iowa State. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm actually in the School of Education, so I feel like I'm hearing a lot of stuff that I'm hearing in my classes. That's great to, great to see that it's actually being implemented. Yeah, cool. You'll have to come chat with me more after we're done with this. Absolutely. So I understand that you've created a comic book called Mosquitoes Suck. Um, So yeah, we say this all the time, but I feel like it means something a little bit different than what your title intended. Um, Do you kind of want to talk about the storyline and like the title Mosquitoes Suck for us? Yeah, well, um, I love telling the story about where this comic book came from, but just to get to your question about the title. So yeah, nearly, I would imagine, universally agrees, right? The mosquitoes suck. They're pests, for sure. Um, They make us run inside, right? Um, When we want to be spending time outside. But Mosquitoes suck also is a way of correcting a public perception that mosquitoes bite when in fact what a mosquito does is suck. 
um, from us. So right there, you're getting a little bit of the power of the science comic, right, to provide some information and mis mis you know, correct some misperceptions um, that we have. Yeah, I'm super proud of this, this comic book because it builds on a really interesting history that I've had, again, here right, as part of my Iowa State faculty role. So I told you that I came from California and did some work um, in science classrooms, but I, I didn't really identify as a um, science education researcher. I wasn't trained in science education research per se, and I certainly am not a mosquito scientist. But I was interested in teaching and learning and teaching and learning for all kids, right, how to make content that particularly might be um, demotivating to some learners, right? How to really in, invest that with enthusiasm and energy to turn students on to subjects like science that typically can turn um, folks off, right? Um, and historically, science has had challenges in engaging women and engaging folks of color, right, in scientific communities. So that was very much tied to my to my um, education professor identity coming to Iowa. And a cool thing that happened is that um, about 10 or no, let me think. Yeah, about 10 or so years into more or less my my time here, I was given the opportunity to lead the ISU for you promise, which is a partnership that this university has with two elementary schools in urban Des Moines neighborhoods and I wanted very much, in addition to just leading and developing that new program, to be able to uh, provide new educational opportunities for those students. And one of the ways I thought about doing this was to create engaging, uh, informal, community-based science education experiences. And I happened to have a really dear friend who is in fact a mosquito scientist. And at the, at the time, um, we, she was at Iowa State. She's no longer here. Her name is Dr. Lyric Bartholome. Um, she's at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She's a dear friend of mine and we were sitting over a beer and we thought, you know, um, how could we take your mosquito science content, make it sort of leap from the lab, right? Right. Really bring it to life, which is something scientists really try to move their science right out into the public so we understand what they do. So how could we take her mosquito science? How could we take the context of the schools and the communities that I was aiming to serve with my ISU for You Promise leadership? How could we bring those things together and create an opportunity for young people to be mosquito scientists and think about solving public health? right? Challenges of their communities. And, and on a napkin, we sketched out early ideas uh, for what could be a project. Um, and we submitted a grant to the National Institutes of Health and it got funded. And so we had years of funding to work with young people um, in the, the neighborhoods to develop, right? Through our work with them, we didn't have any of this except for what we needed to do with the kids to keep them hungry learners, right, in summer camp uh, context, we developed um, a curriculum that's now 175 page Mosquitoes and Me curriculum. It's based around ambitious science teaching, which is a very hands-on, very question, curiosity-driven curriculum. It's also infused with diversity pedagogy strategies, so it's meant to be people in place and problem responsive. 
and towards the end of the project, after we were experiencing success with the curriculum, because we were seeing how impactful it was on, on the kids. You can imagine when a fifth grader at the end of summer camp can dissect a mosquito under a microscope, you know you've done some some pretty good some pretty good work and and we thought you know there's real opportunity to move this information out and get more people excited about science and about mosquito science and wrote for a little additional amount of funding to the from the national institutes of health and and that allowed us to create the mosquito suck comic book and this comic book i'll send you one as a complimentary copy to you all so you can really um take a look at it all. It features the um, artwork of Bob Hall, who did, for example, um, the Avengers and Thor and Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and Captain America. So it's gorgeous and visually stunning, you know, and the comic book story uh, is shaped around our curriculum. Um, we've got three comic book stories. We've got three uh, essays written in very accessible language that sort of unpack the science content. And then we've got some cool posters of some disease-caring mosquitoes, right, that <laughs> suck us and have potential to harm us and, and harm many people around the globe, right, every, every year. So you wanted to know about the story. So what's cool about the story of mosquitoes suck is that um, right away, it starts with this dystopian future. So the Museum of Natural History, which right now is in New York City, in this dystopian future of 2080, has had to move to Des Moines because of environmental collapse. And the environment's collapsed because people decided that we just needed to get rid of mosquitoes at all costs. So without any sort of environmental impact in mind. And of course, we know that um, species are linked together in an interconnectedness and you can't just take one thing away without everything else going uh, awry. So that's the, the premise is that um, in the comic book, students are moving through this new museum of natural history and they're experiencing these holographic images of mosquitoes and saying, well, what happened to these things? Where did they go? And then they travel back to the present and they learn about um, through Mosquitoes and Me Camp, they learn about the relationship of mosquitoes to other animals, including humans and the environment, and they get armed with ways of protecting themselves from mosquitoes as pests, but also thinking about themselves as, as in a relationship with mosquitoes and the rest of, of nature. And so it really is a, a book about mosquitoes, but also about our own need to be environmentally right, clued in as we think about what we do to protect ourselves from mosquitoes. Yeah. Suck, you know? Yes. Yeah. That's super cool. I, I think it's interesting to think about like the students that have gone through the mosquitoes and me camp kind of seeing themselves within the page of the comic book. Um, I think that is a very cool idea. And then also just using like your combined expertise, um, you and uh, your associate who created the comic book together, like she had the expertise on mosquitoes and you knew how to incorporate that into a wider audience in the way that like educators are taught to do. So it's kind of cool that you guys came together and were able to form that. 
Well, that's why the project is so dear to my heart. I mean, how often are we really able to like work with our best friends in a professional capacity to create something that's really, you know, broader than both of us and conceivably, right, has potential to live on. So, and and even more cooler. And I just wanted to show you, Adam, you know, I'm showing you the pages of the comic book. So um, you can see here, sorry, I'm trying to get it oriented. Um, you can see here that we, this is an image of some of the, the kids um, doing things in a local park that we had them do where they're going around and identifying what could be mosquito habitats. So things like fountains, leaky faucets, rain grates, and here an image of a, of a kid using their um, Mosquitoes in Me journal to draw a life cycle. You know, that our character Tiara is based on one of our campers. So, so even cooler, we could say, or the icing on the cake is that the comic book reflects our work with young people in the community, in their neighborhoods. It is the curriculum that we developed because we worked with them. We didn't have it in our heads ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and it even features at the back a piece here about um, these are their public health messages and these are some of their self-styled images. So even the comic book uh, really pays right respect to the young people that we worked with and um just for educators who may be listening i have complimentary copies of the comic book and these posters i have in theater sized as well as smaller sized if you work with young people um if you're a science teacher you know i'm happy to have folks reach out and get complimentary copies for educational purposes of the comic book and the posters yeah, and you were not kidding about the art just being beautiful. Oh my goodness, it is, it looks phenomenal on that cover page. Yeah, thank you. So, um, you know, that leads me to um, my. I'm starting to think about what I can do with this wonderful art. I don't want it to just sit. I'm happy to have it sit in the comic book, and I'm happy to have people use the comic book, and I also don't want it to just um, stay on the shelf. So I'm starting to think about ways of moving the, the narrative and the images out more broadly. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why I think I'm on this Innovators podcast because I'm doing the Startup Factory at ISU and they're helping me think through some of these things. There we go. Yeah, getting that, getting that like wider audience too, um, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing science teachers and you know kids that are geeked out on science, but we have you know people around the world, you know millions of people, right, get sick from mosquito-borne disease, die, you know, can die from mosquito-borne disease. So there's a real need actually for people more broadly than maybe our experience in in Iowa right now has us understand. But there really is a need for for people around the world to get educated about mosquito-borne disease. And, and so so in that case, really thinking about how to reach that broader audience to serve a really authentic right. global need. And honestly, just what a what an effective way that a comic book is, honestly. Because I mean you could see anybody just sitting back and reading through a comic versus if I were to read an essay that would cover the same things, I would get lost in the abstract. I would be bored instantly and just not probably finish it. So like having that comic book formatting just is really impressive. There's research that backs up your um, impression there, Adam, 
and I'm this is not my area of expertise, so I'm going to gloss over it, right? Just very mm -hmm. sort of a bird's eye view. But there's research that's been done on presenting content in like traditional expository or essay format, maybe more typical of uh, textbooks or things we write are assigned to read in school versus that same content presented in comic book form. And they do research on the amount of recall that that readers, users, students have afterwards. And uh, with the comic book, it's usually, you know, the same, if not better, especially for students that tend to come from un previously underserved populations that you can invite, say, reluctant readers or students that tend not to be well served by schools get more of a bang yeah. from a comic book because the use of the visual um, images and the textual features of comic books actually helps us organize the information in our brains better and so that facilitates right uptake and recall yeah. um so there are there's reasons to support what you just said about the experience of a comic book versus a traditional kind of essay Absolutely. And, and I think giving a storyline to it definitely helps like engage your audience a lot more. Um, I was actually just in a class today where they use the phrase humans are storytelling creatures. Um, and I think that that is so true. And so telling someone a story about something that they need to learn is just going to help them learn it even quicker. I think so. I think that that's true for all of us. And it, it really may be sort of an innate human feature a distinctive feature of us as human beings is 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 narrow we we ourselves think of our lives as stories right mm -hmm. and 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 um create our lives as stories that we're authoring yeah right and um i think that's a way that we make sense of of the world and of our selves and so again i think the research would indicate and actually um the the next generation science standards so in some of your education courses adam as you're thinking about science methods and planning around science you know benchmarks and standards and uh, cross-cutting practices one of the things they're really hitting is the idea of having store science storylines so having the science be more um, meaningful than just an isolated fact, that it's part of a broader understanding. And while they may not be talking about dystopian futures, they are in the professional science community understanding the importance of a, of a more meaningful narrative, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, he, I think you could definitely get so caught up in teaching through textbooks that adding that narrative, yeah, is absolutely necessary. Um, so Catherine, I just want to ask, like, how have you seen your comic book already create an impact or have you, have you seen it? Yeah, well, we just, let's see, I'm trying to remember. We just started sending out our copies in early July and they've gone out, um, across the country and in some cases, right, um, to, to other countries we've had. I'm trying to think of specific examples. We've had um, folks running um, summer camps in Illinois where they were training their young campers, right, about mosquito control and prevention, um, post an image of them using our comic book with the young people to, to, right, to get them prepared for camp. Mm -hmm. um, 
other folks that have had funding from the National Institutes of Health to run science programs have reached out asking for their complimentary copies because they want to use it in their own science programming and they also want to get inspired to think about converting their own science content into a comic book format. You know, what I what I really am aiming to do, as, as I've said, is just really expand its reach. So since even since its release, we've had it translated into Spanish. And although we don't have a Spanish version of the comic book per se, we have the text translated. So if we get a request from a Spanish speaking community, we can send them a PDF to facilitate their use of it with Spanish speaking audiences. So it's it's too early, I think, to, to really sort of say, here's the big, big changes that it's making, but it's certainly gone into the hands of a lot of people and hoping, right, that, that, that the story of its impact will unfold over the next year. Yes, absolutely. So in terms of like other people maybe creating their own comics, have you seen people start to follow your model at all? I think, well, certainly I've, I've followed other people's model. Um, you know, uh, there are one of our partners, I should mention, um, on the comic book, Judy Diamond, is also a National Institutes of Health funded, right, scientist and science educator. And she, it, I actually took inspiration. She has a comic book called The World of Viruses and one called Occupied My Microbes. And recently, there's a very recent one called Corona Comics about the mm -hmm. coronavirus. So she is the one um, that really brought my attention to how effective and stunning these comics can be. So I've taken inspiration from her. And yeah, I hope that I inspire more. I would love to work with other scientists who want to do this kind of public science communication. As I said, I am not a scientist, but I do feel like I've got a sense of what engages learners. So um, would love to, to help folks think about how to translate some of their science ideas right into just human relatable stories. Yeah, you're kind of that like middle ground person that can help uh, mediate the situation. Yeah, translator, perhaps, like a science oh, yeah. a science to everyday translator. <laughs> That's a nice way of thinking about it. Absolutely. Maybe you should put that on your LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not very socially media active. So if people start Googling me, they're going to discover that uh, I don't have probably the kind of social media presence that I need to. But one step at a time, doing a comic book one day, becoming social media savvy the next. There we I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so moving forward, um, yeah, you've mentioned that you want to, you know, reach out to other scientists. Do you have any like ideas that you might go off of right now? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is where, you know, there's a balance that I have to, to strike between, um, sort of knowing where I want to go and talking about where I want to go and also kind of right? Keeping a little bit of it to myself, but I certainly would like to see the images and the story leap off of the printed page um, onto something a bit more immersive or gamified. So that's what I'm beginning to think about. You know, what would it mean to actually engage users where their point of entry is not even so much about the mosquito science, but it's about a game, the game itself. And in the game, they learn some mosquito science, but that may not be while, why they initially interact. 
Um, and I think that that might be needed for users, you know, particularly in the U.S. There are mosquito-borne diseases here, and with climate change, mosquito-borne um, diseases are predicted to be on the rise. So we in the U.S. need to be thinking about mosquitoes in a way that many of us, you know, um, again, have just oh, thought right. about them as pests, but not so much as um, threats to our well-being. And I think what we need to do going forward is to just get people thinking about mosquitoes as um, something that they have uh, power over, not just to like on the offense, no, on the defense, right? Mm. But but to take offensive, offensive measures in terms of um, disturbing what could be mosquito uh, breeding habitats around their homes or sort of understanding the options for protection right levels that they have which right can sound really boring but if you embed those into a reward-based gamified sort of environment those messages could get taken up by users that are just playing because it's fun but it's increasing awareness in a really important way so th those are things i'm thinking about yes absolutely um so in terms of like gamification are you looking for um web designers or game designers if somebody wants to reach out to me i know nothing about this i'm you know i'm the proud parent of a nearly 26 year old and a 21 year old um both of whom played video games and with both of whom i always said you're on your own um and so again it's funny that i find myself um even thinking about this but the but the research does really support that gamification has literacy opportunities for students. So a lot of learners that might be labeled at-risk readers, right? Um, unwilling readers, low-level readers. When you get them playing video games, you all probably know there's lots of literacy that you have to navigate and that those, those learners, there are literacy capabilities get activated, right? Used and seen differently. So I, this is the stuff that really interests me is to create something that can, you know, it returns to my original impulse, right? Is to, is to shine a light on learners that we might have overlooked because of low expectations we may have about them if they come from groups that are different than us groups that have, you know, historically maybe been underserved by schools, that we then create opportunities for them to enter into learning in new ways. That's, yes. that's what excites me. Absolutely. I think um, it's interesting how quickly a lot of people can learn while playing a game. Like you, you might play a game for the first time, and then within an hour, you totally understand how that entire game works. And I think like what you're saying is, um, that that is a huge teaching tool um, that's being overlooked right now, where you could totally see, you know, a group of high school guys uh, playing a game, maybe that has to do with um, a unit in science class that you're learning, and like learning a lot of it and not even realizing it, because they're just trying to win the game. Exactly. So, so one of the features, again, you know, I'm talking outside of my own area of expertise. So, um, you know, with some caution for, for listeners, just, you know, so that they know that I know I don't know everything. But what I do know and what interests me is that 
part of the gamification environment that people attribute right these effects to is that in game environments you can sort of level up at your own pace right so i don't know if i'm going to say this right but the worlding right creates opportunities for for people to take sort of different avenues there's not just a one way right there's lots of different ways and you get to try something out and if it doesn't work you get to try it again or you get to do something different and when you get good at it you get to level up and then there's more right mm -hmm. so it's this expansive uh, adaptive kind of environment and that's the kind of environment that researchers right are attributing to the success of video games as learning environments and what you've just said about thinking about schooling if we can build these features into schooling so that schooling has the wide open options as, a, as opposed to the shut options, right? The, mm -hmm. the trying over and over again options, the real immediate sort of rewards and certainly the opportunity to level up, level up, level up. Right. Well, yeah. If you think about schooling that way, then we've really done something good. Yeah. Well, when you're playing a game, the only the only uh, consequence of failure is time. It's, there's no long-term consequence, really. And so that's definitely something that would be awesome to have in schools. Yeah, so this is my, this is sort of, you know, part of my vision for this comic book is to think about how we could use it that way. So getting back to your call to, to folks that might be interested in just helping me think these things through um i would love to have a chat so who knows who knows might be you know who might be listening and could just say hey have you thought about x y or z that'd be awesome absolutely and yeah if you are listening um we can put Catherine's contact information um in the bio of the podcast page yeah that'd be great so Catherine, a question is uh where do you think I guess we've kind of been talking about this this whole time, but like, where do you think the future of education is? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that the conversation we just had is really where it needs to go there. And I think in some, you know, I, I want to say sort of tragic way. I'm not sure that that's the right word, but certainly tragic because of the coronavirus and the way that schools have heroically had to, right react you know but there's something about that that has created a new potential and possibility because i think what's happening is that families right however they're configured right people at home with kids right whether you're deliberately choosing homeschool right whether you're a grandmother that's having to care for a grandchild because the you know the, the parent is working, you know, whatever is the context of the home environment, learning is happening at home mm -hmm. more, right? In these last couple of years than, than it has um, for most people before. And, and it's making us think about the resources. Well, ideally, I would like to think that it's making us think about the resources that exist in homes and communities um, that don't get tapped into in school and that learners, and I'm using learner because for me, a student, when I say student, I mean somebody who's been defined as a student because of school. Mm -hmm. This is the, 
the ed anthropologist in me, right? We're all learners. Outside of school, everybody's a learner from the minute we're born, right? So learner casts a light on this very, it's the human imperative we have to always learn. We're doing it, right, our whole lives. What's happened is that we're having to think about learning happening in home and community spaces in a way that most people haven't had to. You know, folks like me are thinking about this, but now I think the broader population is having to really think about what does it mean to have to do have to do school slash right be taught slash learn at home and i think it's creating opportunities for people to think about resource creation that's engaging that's interest driven um that can be self-paced and these things existed but i think we've just got this context now where there's more interest Right. Um, more of a need. And I think specifically for science, the trick with science, you know, is that scientists typically aren't trained to do public science communication. Mm-hmm. So they just don't sometimes, unless they their own life learning has taken them in that direction, they typically don't feel well, well prepared for how to sort of move their lab or bench science out into the public. So they need help they themselves need help in the translation at the same time that science curriculum can be richer. We've all sort of learned the same sorts of things maybe in science classes. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm much older than you are, but I bet we could have a conversation and some of the objectives are pretty much the same, even though the science is so different. Like what the world knows scientifically is so different than it was you know, 40 yeah. years ago, right? So science has improved and um, new theories are coming out all the time, but yet you're still doing the same frog dissections and, uh, you know, exactly. experiments that you were exactly. doing 40 years ago. So what would it mean, Adam, if we were able to create um, relationships, you know, between scientists and educators, right? And, and, web-based designers and be we're able to bring cutting-edge science right into homes so kids young people had access right to to sort of the most recent insights um because i think one thing we do in schools too is we underestimate the brilliance of young people i think young people are really smart and um if you know, if anything, school I think can under under educate, and and if we can raise the bar by bringing in more sophisticated science and more engaging forms of science communication, I think we could get young people engaging in really interesting online science learning communities. I definitely agree, and I think um, you know if you're if you're showing these new generation of people what's currently happening, then their minds can only add on to that. You know, they're not going to start having the same thoughts that are already being produced by someone else at the moment. Like that we that's can the nature interrupt. of innovation, right? That's so that's that's the idea is helping everybody understand themselves as a creator. Again, getting back to sort of the I love the story, right? The storyline idea that we talked about earlier, you know, to really help young people um, as part of their understandings of their own life story, think about themselves as 
innovators, as creators, as having capacity to generate new ideas that, right, are maybe not just cool for them, but actually can change the world. And and I think I think so much genius lives around us, and we just don't cultivate it. Um, certainly in schools, we just have limited capacity the way that schools are organized now. But I think that this is the, I think this is where the future's going. And I myself am a proud, I am a proud student of a public school. I support public schools. And I think there's ways of working, you know, with public schools, private, public partnerships to think about doing school in a way that puts learning first, yeah. right? And yeah. teaching sort of second. I think we need to think focus less on teaching, more on learning. And so that the role of, of you, for example, as a future educator, right, you're really focused on not so much teaching behaviors, although those are, those are important, but you're really understanding learning as a human phenomenon and how what your role is in shaping that, even if your role is to really back off a bit and let kids just explore. Well, and and you've kind of exemplified this whole time that you're this, uh, you've got that communication uh, between kind of two areas as an educator. Um, and I think like that is totally the teacher's job is to find out, okay, what is my, what am I, what is my goal for my students to learn? And how can I best implement that? You know, it might be a lecture sometimes, but honestly, most of the time it's not. And so trying to find those interesting ways like your comic book or like maybe your potential video game um, as a way to implement learning is that's really what a teacher's job is. It's not as much about teaching behavior as it is like finding innovative ways for learning to happen. Yeah. And like what, it, so, you know, more cool way of doing that than to sort of position the learner as a problem solver. And in our case, right, it really is, unless we learn some new things, right, we might do some damage in the world that people are going to have to sort of pay for later. So how can we problem solve so that we avoid this dystopian future? But what if, you know, what if what, what schools did you know, what, what learning was about is how is this content going to save your life? Right. Right. Like you're, you got to learn it as if it's going to save your life and, and really make the relevance of it, you know, whatever that means, right? Like, okay, studying Shakespeare. Well, I think a really good teacher could say, here's how studying Shakespeare can really transform a life, right? Yes. And if we make um, teaching and learning and schooling with that sort of, right, it's important to to your life then it's transformative people acquire those insights they serve as teachers educators mm -hmm. of others right and we sort of just magnify the impact yes learning is all about just like making it impactful onto a student as opposed to just yeah teaching just to teach basically yeah uh, i agree so catherine we should get together and figure out how to transform the <laughs> education system, Adam. Absolutely. I'm game. <laughs> uh, so Catherine, what is next for you? Well, you know, I'm trying to figure this thing out. So I'm having a really fun time at the startup factory. I'm getting lots of support in um, 
you know, I'm actually what I am is I'm a learner. It's kind of like I've gone, I've gone to a bit of school. I have some assignments. There's things I have to do. I have to, um, I have to really think about what my idea is. I have to call up people and talk to them about my idea and um, learn from them about what they find valuable, what they need, what they don't need. Um, and, you know, aside from the, the comic book based game that I envision that may or may not come to be, right? I'm hoping that it will from this. I really think what, what's happening for me is I'm understanding the value of this translation that you've talked about so so nicely here, you know, helping us think about how the 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 education of scientists needs to have more public science communication, how the education of future teachers needs to have more about sort of learning as a right, like a human right phenomenon, not just right, right. assignments that students do. That there's just a lot more work we need to do i think around these there it's really complex education this one world this one word right is a really complex like mind body activity and we we tend to just sort of brush over it right when we talk about teaching or learning or schooling or education but you know really as, as someone who's trained as an educational anthropologist and i want to return to that idea we need more people to study educational anthropology and to think about education in a cultural context and how we can act as as cultural change agents right at the borders of cultural contact and conflict and promote some positive change right well thank you catherine so much for coming on the podcast um this was a fantastic conversation and i can't wait to see what your comic book and potential video game have in store I'm so excited that I was asked um, to talk with you, Adam, and that you're in the School of Ed and that you can come and chat with me when you want. And um, you'll let me know where I can send you a comic book or I'll have one in my office and I'll make you come visit me. So either <laughs> way, good. we'll get one to you. But thanks so much for the invitation. Thank you.